moving into a new section. And whenever I move into a new section, I frame it all up so that you'll know what we're going to be going over for the next two years. No. <laughs> you may be in trouble today. I normally preach with eight to ten pages of notes, and I got 20 today. So I hope you had lunch before you got here. But uh, I'll talk fast. Okay? You listen fast. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 through 18. If you would please follow with me as we read the word of God. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be put to shame. For I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also in deed when present. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we do not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. Not boasting beyond our measure that is in other men's labors but with the hope That as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what was accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Father, help us to hear. Help us to understand the day and the age that we are in. Help us to understand what Paul was dealing with. And Father, let us rejoice of the amazing things that you do. Father, um, I beg you today, teach us. Teach us the awe of this text. To your praise, to your glory, in your power, for your purpose. In Christ's name, amen. Those of you who know me and, and spent some time under my ministry, they know, you know that I am a textual thematic expositor. I don't know what that means, but it sounds really cool, doesn't it? <laughs> and basically what I do is I just teach through books. Uh, that way I don't ever get lost. And I don't have to, to be creative. Just preach the word. But you know what? I was going through this text as I've been reading for some time now. I read this through this text and I said, you know what? This is not a text that would be picked out to teach topically. And the only person that would ever teach this text 
would be an expositor. And most of the guys that I read who have gone through this text taught this text in one message. Okay? There's no doctrine in this text. There's nothing in here to comfort your heart. There's no great theology in this text. And most people look at it, and I've read a number of different authors, as it's just a personal part that Paul's writing to the Corinthians. Paul is speaking on the issues going on in Corinth. And only an expositor who was teaching through 2 Corinthians would even come across this text. And even coming across this text, as I said, uh, John Calvin had less than a sermon on it. Linsky's, who is extraordinarily, how do I say this, wordy, only had a page on this text. And I was kind of surprised. People look at this and says there's not a lot in this text. But I always look at it from this perspective. The Bible is God-breathed. Okay? And even this text is God-breathed. All right? And there is a theme here. I told you that we were moving into several chapters on spiritual war. And it begins in chapter 10. We looked at the first six verses and we studied that. But I looked at this and as I came about, if you look at your outline, how can you know a true man of God? How is a true man of God known? How do you recognize a true messenger from God? How do you know a true preacher from God? Christianity, you're not going to believe this. Christianity is filled with deceived people. And there are a lot of popular deceivers around to help guide them. And it's always the enemy's work to assault truth. What were they doing with Paul? Assaulting truth. And we've already looked at it. They attack it with errors. They attack it with speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of Christ. They like to use a very common seed. Doubt. Doubt. That's all they do. Just All I had to do is put that little seed of doubt in there. And you know what? I have to say, conclude, they have been extraordinarily successful at it. And as time goes on, they seem to be getting even more effective. In these last times, Peter speaks of, the last time started at the birth of Christ. Evil men will get worse and worse. False teachers will abound. They are deceived and they are deceivers and they seduce people. They lead them astray. Sometimes they do it knowingly. Sometimes they do it in their own ignorance. And you know what? I, this is the only church I've ever been a member of. I've been in this church for 30 years. Okay, I've never been a member of any other church. Okay? 
I have seen a mega church number of people in my 30 years who have turned away from the faith. And they follow speculations and lofty things against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We looked at it last week and we've seen that it is the doctrine of demons. That's the power source that is behind it. That is the energy of the seducing spirits. But it comes by the conduit of lying preachers and teachers. That's the vehicle. And it's part of what will happen in the last days. If you look, you'll see that there is an escalation in defection. People are leaving the truth. I read a survey, and I don't really pay a lot of attention to surveys, but it said that 87% of Americans were Christians. And I was like, wow, <laughs> wonder where they're at. <laughs> okay. And then in the same survey, it says 18% of them believe the Bible is the word of God. Well, there you go. <laughs> I rest my case. It's growing and it is amazing how easy it is to lure people away. Amazing. You think about that letter I read from Pastor Philip. How many people are going to stay in church till 11 p.m.? How many would want to discuss theological things till 1 p.m.? I preached in Zeminka, Russia on a Wednesday night. Now, Zeminka... It's 3,500 people in town. It has 100% unemployment. It's a very small church. Very small. Probably 40. Okay. I preach. You guys know how I preach. I preach for an hour on a Wednesday night. Snow. We were walking through in trenches. And then I had to answer questions for three hours afterwards. You don't get that in America? We have been told that it will escalate. Paul told young Timothy in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. By means of hypocrisy of liars, sear their own conscience as with a branding iron. Peter mentions it in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Why don't we pay attention to that? Why don't we hear that? I've never seen anything like it. Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And his response will be, Away from me. I never knew you. What is wrong with us? Listen, you guys know I have that 
flaw. I love history. In time, no teacher, no preacher, no church is going to be exempt from the enemy's attack on truth. I have been attacked, I don't know how many different times because of my stance on truth. And I will not waver from it. This is Satan's great work. You realize that Satan is not interested in lost people? Why would he be interested in lost people? Listen, there is no Satanism. That's a deception. Who created it? Men. Satan's religion is humanism. If you eat of this fruit, you will know as God knows. That is humanism. Look at us today. His work is to destroy truth. Because he only wants to damn men's souls. Or, if he can't do that, let me make a saint disqualified. Or let me stop a saint's sanctification. You know, I watch the church today, and I've been around long enough to say, Oh my God, there's only one way to be sanctified. Did you know that? Sanctify them with truth. Your word is Truth. Why aren't we doing that? If anyone could rise above an assault on truth, it would be the Apostle Paul. If you're really truly honest with yourself, even to date, Paul had no equal. There was no apostle equal to him. There was no preacher equal to him. There was no teacher equal to him. There was no evangelist equal to him. There was no leader equal to him. There is no church builder equal to him. There's no church planner equal to him. Why would he experience an assault on error? But yet, if you look at him in, in Acts chapter 20, when he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders that he invested in, that he appointed, he said, ravenous wolves will come among you, even you, and will not spare the flock. He understood it. The f- conflict... From the beginning has been for the truth. We read the text today in Genesis 3 and Eve was wrong. When the serpent came to her, she didn't even have that little bitty Bible down. Do not eat or touch of the fruit. That's not what he said. Don't eat it. So Satan already knew Her Bible's the smallest one on the planet. And she doesn't even know what it says. She didn't stand in truth. Look at where we're at today. No, I'm not blaming women. Okay, I'm a firm believer it was man's fault. Here's the reason. He knew better. Okay. Paul understood this. Listen, Satan's servants call themselves apostles of Christ. Do you understand that? Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. The Corinthian church, like all the 
the times of churches that Paul founded was under assault. After the coast was clear, when Paul left, they began to undo the work of God. They always did. Tools to destroy the church. They want to destroy the gospel, therefore destroying souls. And it's done by teaching of error. Okay? Do you have to understand this is the issue that is behind 2 Corinthians? People miss that. What was the error that was taught? You know what? I'm not sure. Paul doesn't specify. And if you're really honest with yourself, it doesn't really matter what the false teaching is, does it? Paul never defines the specific error. But you can read the letter. Um, and it's apparent there are some things there. Um, false proclaimers of error were from the outside of the church. And this has fascinated me. You know, I've been in a church for my believing life. Okay? One church. Okay? There ain't a whole lot of people who can say that. Okay, I've been in one church and I always am gun shy with new people in town because you don't know nothing about them. They make me nervous. You know, they've got a website out now that churches are looking for pastors. They'll list what they're looking for in a pastor. And you have pastors who are looking for a church telling everybody what they're doing for church. And I read through it and it's poo. That's a biblical term. I mean, I just read through it and say, what is this? And I won't get into it. It's frustrating. So the false are from outside of the church. They would be unknown to the congregation. That is extraordinarily important to false teachers. Okay? Because the reality of their life is not known. I do not know how churches hire a stranger who gave them a resume and said, we believe this man is called. How do you know he's called? He filled out a piece of paper. See, the reality of the life isn't known. That's how false who want to teach error get in. And you know, one of the things I do and I've noticed in my years, all the experts are from out of town. That makes me nervous. And they pass themselves off any way that they want to. They can, they claim to be superior in their authority to the Apostle Paul. They claim to be true apostles of Christ. They were super apostles. They had priority. They claim to be true Jews. And only a true Jew can represent the religion of Jesus Christ. They claim that Paul wasn't true Jew. 
that he claimed. See if I can cast doubt on the messenger. Then I can bring my false in. If he was not a true Jew, then how could he give the true religion of Messiah? The true doctrine of Messiah. In chapter 11 of this letter, verse 4. If one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted... You bear this beautifully. It's chastening them. And, and, and I read that and I, it's, they're preaching another Jesus. True Jews representing true Jesus that they made up. So you have this community that comes in and they claim to be Jewish, true representations of Christ Messiah. And they can bring in the Jewish legalism. And what that is, is sacraments. It's ceremonies. It's externals. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And everybody, bravo, bravo, bravo. They claim to be Hebrews. They claim to be Israelites. Chapter 11, verse 22. Are they Hebrews? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. They had a, a line of Judaism. But they also, because it's in Corinth, had a line of mysticism with some Gnosticism. Mysticism is experience. It's, just, it's what I call the woo factor. Okay, then you put Gnosticism in there and Gnosticism is higher knowledge. So I have this mystical superior knowledge that is higher than normal people. Brothers and sisters, look around you. I have a secret superior higher knowledge that the normal hearer can't understand. They're outsiders with a greater authority they claim, claiming a lineage, truly representing Christ, Judaism mixed with mysticism and Gnosticism, an elevated knowledge that the normal person, the average person, they can't really comprehend it. They also had fake letters of commendation. Chapter 3 of this letter. You are my letter of commendation, Paul told the Corinthians. I don't need a fake letter that says, yeah, I recommend this guy. They criticized that Paul didn't have any letters. Paul said, you are my letter. But they also do an amazing thing. They adopt the culture. Okay, you have to know something about the Greek culture still exists today. The Greeks were into rhetoric, debating. Okay, they were also into great orators. Had a discussion just this week about a guy and he, the pastor had left in shame. And he says, but I know he was anointed. And I said, well, what do you mean he was anointed? Well, he could preach. So if you can talk well, you're anointed? When I first started working in Russia back in the late 90s, uh, the guys had all the enthusiasm must be preachers. And that's, that was their... That's how they marked it. These guys didn't look at their Bibles. 
They just got up there and yelled and shouted and, and would sweat profusely and just a man of God. But he doesn't study. He's not a worker rightly dividing truth, showing himself approved. Popular philosophies, wisdom of the culture, make it popular for the Greeks so they can reach into any Jewish believers in the church. Now they can reach into the Greek believers in the church. And they were also extraordinarily liberal. They had no regard for purity. They embraced immorality, they embraced sensuality, and they make it easy to lead others to do it. Chapter 12 of this letter, verse 21. I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over many of those who have sinned in the past and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and sensuality which they have been practicing. Why? You can draw the culture. We have churches based in our community right now that sent letters to lost people asking them what they wanted from a church. And they built a church from that. What is that? It's fleshly. Let me appeal to your desires. Let me appeal to your flesh. But I'll add some Judaistic ceremonies and some sacrament and I can move the people through their culture so they don't have to abandon anything. I can get a big following and if I got a big following, then what do I got? Cash. Cash. Okay, so when I think about the error that they were teaching, I don't believe it was singular. But I look at the average person who looks today and they look at philosophy, they look at religion, they look at moral standards. And you know what? They say there are an awful lot of opinions to choose options to choose from out there. You know, there's all kinds of religions. There's all kinds of ethical codes. There's all kinds of moral standards. And you know what I can say to them? It's not true. There's only two. It's only two, the right one and the wrong one. Okay, now I will give you that there are a lot of wrong ones, but there's only two. You can't get close. If you go look at the word sin in the original language, you know what it means? Miss the mark. Close don't count. There is only one source of truth, people. One. And you don't add anything to it to get a pure truth. And everything else is error. Did you hear what I said? You cannot add to, you can't add error to truth and get a purer truth. Now then, when I think about error, some things I want you to think about with me. Do you understand that error does not exist for itself. Okay? It's not trying to establish itself. Okay? Error is for one purpose, to destroy truth. Okay? It has no purpose for itself. Error doesn't care what form it takes or what name you give it. 
Do you know what? Satan and the demonic realm do not care what people believe as long as they don't believe truth. He has enough schemes to entice everybody. And he's practiced at it. The issue isn't to get all in a single system. That's not what Eric's trying to do. But they're trying to get all to buy out of the single system. So it is important for us. It is not important. It is not important for us to understand what the error is. We're not really told. I know a guy was in the secret service. He was on the counterfeit side. Uh, that's what they originally were for, counterfeit money. And he says they never look at counterfeit. They become so aware of the original, the real one, that as soon as they see a counterfeit, they spot it just like that because they're so in tune to what a real dollar, real 2,100 looks like. The church is dying because she's not discerning and she's not taking truth and saying, thus saith the Lord. And when the error shows up, he says, that ain't what it says. We are never told in the book of Revelations, the error of Nicolaitans. I've heard a lot of people tell me what it was, but as I read through there, it doesn't tell me what it is. But I do know this, it's not truth. If it isn't the truth, then it's not existing for itself. Truth exists for itself. Error is only to draw people from the truth. All right? Listen, error don't care what people believe as long as they're not believing the truth. I have heard sermons preached in this community that I couldn't tell you where they got their information from. I mean, I heard them quote the Bible, a chapter... In a verse, but they never read it. And they go off on this big dissertation. And you're sitting there going, well, what was that? I heard a message at Easter and it could not have reached the lost and it had nothing to help the saved. What was it? It's like listening to a politician. It doesn't have a benefit. And I don't understand that. Church is for a reason. It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. That isn't that complicated. Satan doesn't care what people believe as long as they don't go to a truth-speaking church. You know what? Satan doesn't care if they go to a synagogue. He don't care if they go to mass. He don't care if they go see Buddha. He don't care if they're a Mormon. He don't care if they're Jehovah's Witness or eclectic. He don't care as long as they don't go to a Bible preaching church. I illustrated, if you look at our congregation, what is the emphasis of what we do here? We start the morning with what? The Word of God. Right? We, then we bring prayer. Right? Then we go sing hymns to He who gave us the Word of God and the privilege of prayer. And then we expound the, the Word of God. Correct? I wonder what the focus is. Okay? It, that, that isn't complicated, people. That isn't complicated. 
When the Word of God is exalted, and it's so far and few between, you can spot it a mile away. Look, they lift up the Word of God. In Corinth, Satan had a group of Jewish converts. They were appealed to, and they had letters of recommendation. Uh, they, the Greeks loved them because they were liberal, and they had great speaking ability, and they used the mi- wisdom and the philosophy of the day and the age to worship and mysticism. What do we got in the church today? Go check out churches. Listen, I meet with pastors weekly. I can hear what they're saying, and I know what's going on. Okay? I don't have to go to their churches. I can just listen to what they're saying. It's a nah. Why? The church today in Castle Rock, Colorado, appeals to the flesh. Appeals to the flesh. Ceremonies. Experiences, liberal, it's seen. The liberal side of it appeals to the flesh. And we call it encouraging to freedom. You know what? And you can do that. Have a little ceremony. Turn the lights down low and the music up loud. You appeal to the flesh. And you know what? You can invent a very creative religion. And it's all for one reason. Destroy the truth. And you know what I've learned? My adversary, Lucifer, he loves variety. He thinks it's great. The more, the merrier. And it works well for him. Something for everybody. And you know what? It doesn't even matter how reprobate it is. The most effective way for a false to get a hold of that congregation is let me destroy the messenger of truth. Discredit him somehow. Will not get the hearers in Corinth unless they can put doubt in their minds about the genuineness and the integrity of the Apostle Paul. You know what? I have had to fight this battle I don't know how many different times. I don't know. I had a group of people one time. Some of you guys know I'm an electrician too. And there's a liquor store down south of town. And the guy asked me to put in some of these energy efficient light bulbs. And I, so I went in to give him a bid, okay? Somebody in the congregation seen me coming out of the liquor store. I didn't have anything in my hands. And they got a group of people together and says, Pastor's in the liquor store. And nobody ever come and asked me, what was you doing in the liquor store? How stupid is that? I had a family leave this because they saw me riding my motorcycle without a helmet. Is that against the law? Oh, wait, it's not. All they had to do is just throw something. See people calling Paul deceitful. He's a fake. And when this is accomplished, people start that little seed of... Doubt. Paul's not there to ask him. He didn't have his cell phone with him, so they couldn't call him. And so this festers in this body of believers. And they slip right in. And you know what? They were having some success. But I've already showed you that there was four letters written to the Corinthians. Between first and second Corinthians is a letter called the severe letter. That letter, he called them out. 
And you look at 2 Corinthians written because that relationship has been restored to people who are starting to respond. Okay? Because, listen, go read 1 Corinthians. You know there's error there. Look at the chaos. Go read 1 Corinthians. A cursory reading of that, you think, that church is a mess. But anytime error comes in, what are you going to have? Chaos. It becomes bizarre. Paul had confronted the falling away. He'd called him back. It had worked. The relationship was restored. But listen, Paul's no stupid. He said, you know what? He understood that this restoration was fragile. This commitment back was fragile. Because remember, they had committed to him in the beginning. And they'd walked away. It didn't hold very well. Why? The false were still there. So if the false were still in the congregation, why wouldn't they try again when a little time? Because you know what? In the congregation, you're always going to have some weak and faint-hearted believers that are easily swayed by doubt. So the potential disaster is there. Paul says, I'm coming back. About three and a half, four months later, after the writing of this letter, he would be there. But he's given an imprint in writing of his authority and the evidence of his authority. And if you've got it in writing and somebody doubts, you can show them the letter again. Read that. Okay? This letter, 2 Corinthians, is written in two parts. Okay? And it's fascinating. It's taken me a while to figure it out, but I'm a slow learner. The first nine chapters, chapters one through nine, is written to the congregation, to those who are restored to the Apostle Paul. It's written from his heart. He loves these people. He's pleading for trust and confidence. Okay? That he wants it back like it was. Okay? Then chapters 10 through 13, he's speaking to the false, the accusers, and those who would be following them. And he is very direct about it. You know what? I can kind of look at it. The first part of this letter, 1 through 9, is written to the church. Okay? What I would call the wheat. Second part of this letter, 10 through 13, is the false or the tares. Ten through thirteen is a strong, a very, uh, very, very pronounced defense of his apostleship, and basically the Corinthians will have to trust him. In the future, those who question it can read the letter. But what's funny about this letter is, is that this letter would be read. Titus is going to bring it back. It would be read before the congregation. And so all the churches there, we're all back together. And you got the, the people with the spiritual gift of murmuring sitting in the corners. And they're going to read this from the pulpit. And the first nine chapters, the people are going to be going, bravo, 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 bravo. And then he's going to roll through 10 through 13. And the people that are snakes in the grass are going to be going, uh-oh. We've been pointed out. He wants them all, to, all who will read this letter and all who would be in the church in Corinth to know that this man is sent from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
His authority is against the claims of the false and deals directly with them false teachers. Listen, up until now, everything that we've been studying, we've been dealing with the church. Now he's going to deal with the character of their assault on him. That is what spiritual warfare is. I told you spiritual warfare is not this demon stuff. We're not out binding and casting. Okay, we are dealing with the minds of people. That's where spiritual warfare takes place. Speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of Christ. I showed you these things. They are philosophies. They are psychology. They are systems. They are techniques. They are methodology. It's humanism. You name it. It's naturalism. You throw it all together. And we try to put it in with truth. And it doesn't get pure. That's what you're fighting against. That's what spiritual warfare is. It's against the thinking habits of humanity. This section defines for us the marks of a true man of God. You should all study this for yourselves. Anyone to measure someone who claims to be a messenger of Christ. You should hold them to this. It instructs us today. And we are in desperate need of instruction today. I, I can, in my study of history, okay, even when you have the, the birth of Roman Catholicism, never have I seen the church drowning in as many false teachers as there is today. It is incredible. And you know what? I get myself in all kinds of trouble because if it's a false teacher, I mention it. Because somebody's got to. And then you get the cliche. Well, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I have my cliche. The baby's drowning. You going to let it drown? It's a war, people. And it isn't, it isn't getting easier. We all desperately need to be discerning. Not just me, all of us. So many, you know, we have people in huge evangelical churches right now who deny the Trinity. And they say it. And it, was, it comes out of modalism, which is the first century, that says there is no trinity. God left heaven, came down as Jesus, ascended again back to heaven. He came back down as the Holy Spirit. Well, who's at the right hand of the throne? And yet he's evangelical, he's touted, everybody wants him as speaker in their church. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. That was touted as heresy uh, 1900 years ago. And now we embrace it. Go look at what they do to the person of the Holy Spirit. That's a tragedy. I've never seen anything like it. They deny the resurrection. They deny the deity of Christ. And you know what's really amazing? They run around calling themselves theologians. Listen, that's just part of it. You think I'm wrong. Go watch religious TV. Go read the religious books 
Well, wait, better not. <laughs> You'd be better off not to. Okay, because we don't have no discernment. I go look at a book. Somebody writes a book. The first thing I do with a, a religious book, I don't have a Kindle or a pad or any other thing. I read books because then I can throw them and I don't feel like I hurt something. No. <laughs> it just broke my Kindle. The first thing I do when someone says, you need to read this book, I go straight to the back. See how it ends? No. I want to see scripture references. If there's no scripture references in the back of that book, I will not waste the time. Okay? Other books I have read, they have some scripture references in the back, and I cruise right along until it goes, boom. And then I stop right there. Had a little book, it was a bestseller. A little bitty book, about like that. Some guy's prayer. Okay? You know who I'm talking about? I read it through, it was selling, you couldn't keep them in the bookstores. You gotta read this, gotta read this, gotta read this. I'm cruising through, that's good, that's good. I don't know how you get that, anyway, out of one verse, but I got to the part there, it says that if you do this, God is obligated to answer your prayers. Close the book. God's not obligated to nothing. Okay? I don't have to go any farther than that. Read another one. Do these seven things, you're a believer. Not once did the guy, the author mention sin. So what did you just save me from? No, I don't have to read those. The question of true men of God is more important today than it was even in the time of the Corinthians. Because there's so much access out there. How do I tell a true messenger? If he just comes strolling into town, how do you tell? How do you know that man is from Christ? How do you measure him? How can you know that that is God's servant? Chapter, verse 7 through 18 will tell you. One, you will see his relationship with Christ, his impact on the church, the compassion for the people, his disdain for fleshly methods, his integrity, and his humility. And it's not the best out of six. His relationship to Christ, his impact on the church, his compassion for the people, his disdain for fleshly methods, his integrity, and his humility. That's how you tell. And it's all in these texts. And we will be looking at these in depth over the next 12 years. No. <laughs> the next time frame. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And Father, I cherish the day that I meet him personally. But Father, I also look even more with the opportunity of my faith becoming sight of the person of Jesus Christ who redeemed me. My Lord and my Savior, I do not even know how to begin to thank you for the years that you've given me in this gracious congregation. And Father, I thank you that this is where you've had me for 30 years. Father, your ways are not my ways. And I praise you for that. Father, may we who are called by your name, we who are gathered here today, have the passion of the Apostle Paul, the convictions of the Apostle Paul, and the power of of the Lord God of creation. Help us, Lord. Seek your face with every breath we've got. To your glory and praise. Amen.